I keep going on with this this story of Jacob, Genesis chapter 30. We're going to start at uh, chapter 30, verse 25. And we're going to look at one of the weirdest parts of Jacob's story, just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder. Um, there's, this, there's this passage that I personally have always read and just been like, huh. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you just read it and you're like, that was weird. And you just turn the page and you keep on reading. And so that's why I felt like God was telling me, no, I want you to stop here. I have something for you. And so uh, hopefully this, this will encourage you. Verse 25 says, And it came to pass that when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I, might, that I might go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done for you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the 14 years that he has worked for his two, his two women. Uh, you know, most of you would not work 14 years for your lady. I would for my wife, obviously, for Roe, but you know, I probably love her more than some of you guys, you losers. But you know, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it's, it, this is quite incredible. This guy, I mean, this guy is just something else. He, he is in love with Rachel. We talked about Jacob's issues last week. One of his issues is he's always attaching himself to a person. And he sees Rachel, the most beautiful girl in all of Haran, and he says, I have to have Rachel. So he works seven years uh, for Rachel, which is so strange in that culture at that time. This is, he's way overpaid. And I mean, he's just, he's just so in love and it's so romantic. And, um, and then of course we find out that he's really just a dude um, who is in love with a hot girl. And um, anyway, he, he gets ready for his wedding night. And as we read last week, uh, uh, Rachel's dad switches Rachel with her older sister um, just before the wedding. And so Jacob ends up mistakenly marrying Leah. And so he spent seven years working for Rachel. Instead, he got Leah. And, and he goes to Laban, and Laban says, well, if you work seven more years, I'll give you Rachel now, and then you work seven more years for her. So Jacob has now, uh, well, he was about 60 years old when he started working for Laban. He's now worked the past 14 years, and his only wages are two, two women. Um, that's it. He, he, he came to Haran with the, the shirt on his back and nothing more. And he currently has nothing more than the shirt on his back, his two wives, and a bunch of kids. Because uh, the, uh, the, the beginning of the chapter, chapter 30, verse 1 through 20, 24, is kind of like the desperate housewives of Haran. So if you want to read that, <coughs> you, you'll see what I mean. And these ladies are having babies, and they're kind of fighting against each other, turning over tables, all that kind of thing. And um, they, you know, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Well, meanwhile, Jacob is working and working for 14 years. His 14 years are now up. And he, of course, has the birthright and the blessing to his hometown. So he tells Laban, man, I'm going back, right? I'm, I'm going back to where I actually own something, <laughs> where I'm actually going to receive an inheritance because I got nothing here. I'm taking my kids and my wives, and I'm taking off. In verse 27, Laban said, please stay. Now, this is interesting. This is the first time anybody's ever said that to Jacob in all of recorded scripture. Nobody has ever asked Jacob. They've... They've, they've ran him off before. <laughs> they said, you better get out of here or I'm going to kill you. But they never, no one's ever said this to J Jacob, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. This is interesting. The first compliment Jacob ever gets in all of Scripture. 
Now, he may have gotten compliments that the Bible did not record, but this is the first time somebody says, man, God is blessing you. The, the guy is 74 years old, <laughs> and he gets his first compliment, so stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. You're still, still, still waiting for your husband to notice that dress? Just stay. He's 74 years old. You might get it, ladies. I'm just, I'm just saying. You got, you got to be a little patient. Jacob, 74 years old, gets his first compliment, and, 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 and Laban says, man, God is blessing me because of you. It's kind of a compliment. It's also sort of a backhanded compliment. But wow, I'm doing good, Jacob. I'll tell you what. I am, man, things are, are rolling for me. I know you don't really own anything, and that's cool, but God, like, because since you started working for me, wow, God has been blessing me because of you. Isn't the Lord good? Wow. <laughs> it's kind of a compliment. Jacob, Jacob is, is, is in a different position than he's ever been before, though. Verse 28, Laban says, so name your wages and I'll give it. Now, this is kind of familiar. Name your wages and I'll give it. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. In other words, I've been watching your sheep and your goats. For what you had before I came was little, and it was increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I provide for my own house? <laughs> In other words, you're right. You're blessed. You're right. It's because of me. Uh, but I have my own stuff to deal with, right? I mean... Jacob's like, I got 99 problems, Laban. <laughs> and making you rich ain't one. All you Christians didn't get that, but I said that to my wife the other day. She was saying, I, by the way, I shot a snake. There you go. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I shot a snake. We live out in a farm now, so I kind of have to be country. And so I... I shot this thing, I was pretty proud of it. I was gonna put it on Facebook and Rose said, you can't put that on Facebook. I said, why not? She said, well, because some people like would think you shouldn't kill snakes or be shooting guns. I said, girl, I got 99 problems and their opinion ain't one. Just, just, I don't know. So anyway, um, she doesn't, she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know what that means. She's, she's sweet. She's very sweet. And she's more saved than me. So, um, you know, if you don't know what that, what that song is, don't Google it. It's, it's just an old John Wesley hymn that uh, is just, it's just very spiritual. Anyway. <laughs> Jacob is like, man, I got to deal with my own family, Laban. I got, I got stuff I got to take care of. I got kids, I got wives, I got a crazy household, I have to take care of my own. And so Laban says, okay, well, well, what shall I give you? I love Jacob's response. You shall not give me anything. In other words, I'm not asking for any favor. I'm not asking for you to give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, if you'll agree to this contract, I will again keep and feed your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today. Now, this is, this is interesting, the way that Jacob words this. He says, let me... Jacob, let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. I love verse 33 because this is so unlike Jacob. He says, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. And Jacob's never relied on his righteousness before, by the way. 
<laughs> but now he is. And the actual word righteous there is honesty. It's very interesting. He says, so my honesty will show for me. What has Jacob learned? Jacob has learned in 74 years that if you get stuff by being dishonest, your dishonesty will show up later in life. <laughs> You'll lose stuff by people being dishonest. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you live by the sword, always hacking at people, you'll die by the sword. And, and, and Jacob has figured that one out. So Jacob says, I want to do things differently this time. I'm not going to try to cheat you. Instead, I'm going to let my honesty show for itself. I'm going to sow some good seed into the soil, and I'm going to reap some, some good fruit. And I love what Jacob's learning here. I mean, the guy's 74 years old, but hey, he's, he's a late bloomer. He's figuring it out. And he says, look, so my, my righteousness, my honesty will answer for me in time to come that when the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone, every one of the sheep that I'm watching that is not speckled and not spotted among the goats or brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. In other words, he's saying, look, you can have all of the white sheep. You can have all of the white sheep. And by the way, white sheep is what is predominantly normal. It's the normal gene, the normal genetic makeup of sheep. Most sheep are white. Occasionally, about 11% of the time, you have sort of an odd sheep, what, what, what people call the black sheep of the family. Uh, some of you guys go to City Chapel, which is great. Um, you, you, have, you have sort of an odd duckling. You have like a strange sort of coloration within the sheep. And um, uh, what Jacob is saying, he's saying, look, I will take the odd ones. I'll take the 11%. I'll take the strange ones. You take the majority. Now, now uh, he's, not the, 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 he's not referring to the quality of these sheep. Obviously, uh, especially in those days, they didn't care if the sheep was speckled or white or whatever. Uh, it would still, you'd still be able to eat it. You'd still be able to get, to get wool from it. I mean, all of the things for which they were using sheep and goats still applied. So it's not that they were less valuable. They were just more rare. So they were the quantity. Jacob is making a deal with Laban, and, and according to Jacob's deal, Jacob, over the next six years, we find that he's here for six more years. Over the next six years, he's saying, look, look, I'll take the rare ones, you take the majority, you take the big, the big portion. And this seems like an amazing, an amazing deal to Laban. So Laban said in verse 34, Oh, that it were according to your word. Laban is like, man, that is a good deal, Jacob. You, if I were told you, you're my favorite son-in-law. I mean, you are just something special, brother. I tell you what, this is a great, I, I wish this could be our contract. If that were our deal, I mean, I, I, I'm all in right now. Where do I sign on the dotted line? This is a good thing. And so he agrees to this contract. Verse 35, though, tells us that Laban already, Laban's kind of shady character in case you hadn't noticed, Laban already breaks the deal. In verse 35, so he, Laban, removed that day the male goats that were spotted and speckled and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. And then he put three days journey between himself, his sons, and his, his speckled sheep and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now that wasn't the deal. Jacob had said, I will go through your flock. I will take out the spotted and the speckled ones. I will take the spotted and the speckled ones with me so that I can be reproducing spotted and speckled ones. Laban says, that sounds like a great deal. But before Jacob could get to his flock, Laban goes to the flock, removes the spotted and speckled ones, and sets them aside and says, yeah, you can't touch these ones. Now go ahead, you get all the spotted and speckled ones. And like there's none left in the flock. <laughs> 
So genetically, you're saying, well, who in the world? How am I going to get spotted and speckled sheep when all I got is white sheep? What's interesting is the word Laban means white. So every time in the Hebrew, every time they're talking about white, they, they, they literally say Laban sheep, the Laban sheep. <laughs> and so Laban encroaches on what ought to be Jacob's. He takes the dark sheep, he takes the spotted sheep and the speckled sheep and the ugly ones, and he sets them aside and he says, all right, now let's go ahead and start this deal. Jacob allows it. Why? Because Jacob is allowing his honesty to show for itself. Because dishonesty will always show for itself. And Jacob says, okay, fine, you want to sow that? <laughs> you want to sow dishonesty? You want to you sow that into your life? You want to put that into your life? It's going to grow some pretty nasty stuff, and I've learned that. And so I'll just let you go ahead. Some of you would be better off with folks who cheat you just to go ahead and let them sow that into their life because they'll have to reap the reward of that, and you don't have to have a part of that. You don't have to stoop to their level. And so Jacob says, that's fine. You go ahead and do what you're going to do. I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. Verse 37 says, now Jacob took for himself, and this is what is the weird part of the scripture. Jacob took for himself um, green, in other words, fresh rods, poplar, uh, green poplar, uh, fresh poplar, that's a type of tree in the Middle East, and the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. There is a white sap inside of the poplar rods. So he, he cuts them down, he shapes them into these rods, and he peels out so that the white uh, sap kind of leaves a white, white rings around these rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, uh, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. So, so a shepherd would, would always have a place to bring the flocks. It was usually near a well, and he would draw water from the well, put put the water in buckets and allow the sheep to come and to drink. And so when, when the sheep came to drink, he put these rods with white stripes on them in front of these white sheep and in front of these goats. In verse 39, so the flocks conceived, if you want to know what that word means, see me after church. <laughs> We've been over this last week, folks, if you don't know that. Uh, so the flocks... <laughs> All the kids that were in church on Mother's Day got a, got a special sermon last week, I'll tell you what. I had some 12-year-olds asking some questions. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. In other words, it looks like it's working. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. Verse 41, I'm going to come back and explain that in a minute. Verse 41 says, And it came to pass that whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler became Laban's and the stronger became Jacob's. Thus the man, Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female, uh, male servants, and camel donkeys. I want to talk about this strange piece of scripture, this odd story where uh, Jacob is looking to get uh, uh, striped and speckled sheep. Actually, let's go ahead and keep on reading just so you can read the, to the end of the story. In chapter 31, I wasn't sure if I was going to go there. Let's just go to chapter 31. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. 
because <laughs> he's stealing all his sheep. And the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it's not favorable toward me as before, but, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have always served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. Now, we're not gonna have time to get into that. Apparently during the last six years, some, uh, Laban kept switching things up, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If, he, if, he, if, if Laban said, uh, the speckled will be your wages, then the flocks would bear speckled sheep. And if he said, uh, the streaked ones will be your wages, then they would bear streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And this is, how, this is how Jacob knows this in verse 10. He says, because it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams that leapt upon the flocks were streak-speckled and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me and said, Now, he said, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see all the rams, how they are leaping on the flocks, how they are streak-speckled and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you, and I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Now, typically when I've read this passage, I've read this strange like uh, stick pole thing that, that, that Jacob does. And then I've seen the result that, that he obviously starts getting more and more sheep and more and more cattle and he grows. Meanwhile, Jake, uh, Laban's cattle diminishes. There's less white sheep and there's more streaked and spotted. And, and, and I've always thought, well, that's, that's really strange. And then I've turned the page and I've read this passage that explains that basically God did it. You know, to, to put it in, in, in five-year-old language, God made it happen. God did it. And I've always thought, well, I don't really understand what's going on here. But I know that in the end, God was responsible for Jacob's prosperity. And so my general takeaway, which is a good takeaway from this passage, is that God's sovereignty can handle whatever, whatever you're dealing with. God's sovereignty can handle whatever mistake you've made. God's sovereignty can handle whatever mess you've got yourself into. God is so sovereign. Sovereign means he's in charge, he's in control. He is so strong, he's so big, that, that, that when, he, when he promises something, he doesn't need anything else to fulfill that promise. Like he can fulfill it all by himself. And so his sovereignty is bigger than your obedience, although your obedience is an important part, but his sovereignty is bigger than that because Jacob wasn't always obedient. Jacob wasn't always full of faith. God's sovereignty is bigger than your faith. God's sovereignty is bigger than your enemies. Laban was out to get Jacob and now to make sure that he was not going to prosper, and yet God's sovereignty came against Laban, and suddenly Jacob is prospering. And so on the one hand, really, if you don't walk away with anything today, except the simple truth that God is big enough to do what he's promised to do in my life, then that's a good, that, that's a good footnote. Go ahead, write that down in your notes. Uh, put it on a sticky note. Slap it in your car. Put it on your driver's steering wheel. Put it in the bathroom window. You need to remember that God is big enough. You're not big enough to accomplish what God promised you, but God is big enough to accomplish his purpose for you. And he's bigger than your mistakes, and he's bigger than you, and he's bigger than what you have going on in your life. And whenever he promises something, he is taking everything into account. And he's promising from a perspective of, of, of eternity. So he's, when he promises you something, he doesn't just hope that it's going to happen. 
like you and I hope that it's going to happen. Jeremiah 29:11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, for many of us, when we make plans, these plans are future events. But when God makes a plan, he's making a plan from the place of a present tense. So when he says, I know the plans I have for you, he's really saying, I know what I've already done for you. You're just, you just haven't lived long enough to see what I've done for you. But I know what I've done for you because I'm standing looking from way up here. And so when God sets something in order, when he promises you something, when he speaks something, when you, when you find a promise of God in his word, God always makes sure that he is responsible to fulfill his promises. And I love that. I love that. They, that's a basic general takeaway from this story. But, but what I wanted to do today is really start for the next 20 minutes, just look at this story to see how. How does God accomplish his purpose? How does God work his way in our lives, even though we are not uh, maybe a like Abraham or like Moses or like, or like any of the 12 disciples? Sometimes we're much more like Jacob. How in the world is God going to still fulfill his purpose in our, in our lives? And we see that when we really look at the story. So, so I just, just want to go back to verse 27 of chapter 30, where Laban says to him, he says, please stay if I've found favor in your eyes, because I have learned that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. He says, I've learned that the Lord has blessed me. Now, really, really what, what was happening is that Jacob was working for Laban for 14 years for two women. One, he didn't even want to marry. Uh, he was literally like an indentured slave. So his, 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 his meals were provided courtesy of Laban. His housing was provided courtesy of Laban. He didn't ask for any of those things as a part of his salary. No, no, no silver, no gold, no money of, of any kind. He didn't ask for any land or anything. The only thing he asked for was for Rachel. And so he went after Rachel and Leah. And, and because of that, for the past 14 years, he's been living literally as a servant in the house of Laban. And it's so interesting to me that as a servant, uh, the one who profits from a servant is the master of that servant. It's never the servant. And this is why, this is why we at City Chapel are bound and determined to help people get out of slavery to sin. Because like in Jacob's story, he was in slavery and yet God was still blessing him. God was still uh, uh, blessing him and multiplying everything he was doing, but he never got to reap the rewards of that blessing because of the slavery that he was in. And if you stay in slavery to sin, even if you're doing the right things and God is blessing you, that slavery will end up taking the profit that God expected to give to you. The peace that God wanted you to have, it will steal that. The joy that God wanted you to have, it'll take that. The kids that God wanted you to have, it will steal those. And 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 and, and it's always it's always whenever you are a slave you don't get the benefits of your work you work and you work and you work but you don't get the benefits of it somebody else does and so that's why we want to free people from slavery because for this very reason Laban says man God's blessing you I'm getting all of it you're not getting any of it and Jacob is still left penniless and so in 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 that Jacob says I know that God is going to bless me I know that God promised me his promises in Bethel and so Jacob makes a deal uh, with Laban and the deal is based on this idea of reproducing speckled and spotted and brown sheep and goats. And then Jacob <laughs> sets off to manipulate the outcome. And I love this on the one hand because I, I, I just like Jacob's tenacity a little bit. 
You know, I mean, like, he could have just kicked back and said, well, God's going to do what he promised to do in my life, so I guess I'll get my lemonade and, and you know, just kick my feet up and watch reruns of, of uh, Oprah, and, you know, it'll be great because God's just going to, God's going to do it. And it, there's, it's, it, it, you can almost, like, like sometimes you, when, when you understand the sovereignty of God, when you get a glimpse of the sovereignty of God, you can almost go too far, and, and you, can, you can start abusing the sovereignty of God where you just, you just believe that God God's just, everything is God. Everything is God. Like everything that happens is God. Well, my car broke down, so I guess God wanted my car to break down. Well, maybe like when the engine light comes on, maybe he expects you to take it to the shop. I mean, like if you jump off a roof, you're going to break your ankle. And that's not God's fault. God didn't push you off the roof. God didn't tell you to do something stupid. And, and... (laughs) Those are just things that you want to say, and you just get to say when you're preaching. Because you can't blame, like, you can't blame it all on God, you know? It's like, well, I don't understand why I lost my job. I don't know why God let me lose my job. Well, if you would have showed up on time to your job, like, you wouldn't have lost. Anyway, like, like, it's not all God. God doesn't do stuff to you. You do stuff to you. And God's promises are yes and amen. And God always obligates himself to fulfill his promise in your life. But you can make the road to fulfillment much harder or much easier based on what you do. And so that's what Jacob is doing. Jacob is just doing what he thinks he can do. And in his efforts, we see both, number one, just, just, just some tenacity, which is awesome. But also we see the foolishness of Jacob. He thinks that if he can get striped sticks and put the striped sticks in front of the sheep when they're conceiving, that for some reason, like when a a sheep is looking at something that's striped, then the sheep will birth something that's striped. That's what he's thinking. But this is how Jacob thinks throughout his life. He sees Esau. He's like, man, if I, could, if I could look like Esau, I would get the blessing of Esau. So he dresses like Esau in order to get the blessing of Esau. And then he sees the most beautiful woman in Haran. If I could marry her, then I would be important. He didn't even, he didn't even have a conversation with her before he said he wanted to marry her. Like, get to know somebody every once in a while. Like, you know, but he's like, man, she's hot. She's got to be mine. Because that's the way Jacob thinks. Jacob thinks if you can look the part, then you'll be the part. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, we kind of live in a society that's actually pretty similar. So in other words, like if you lose weight, then you'll have better self-esteem. You know, you'll feel better about yourself if you look in the mirror and you look at something different. If I can look the part, then I'll be the part. If I can have the right clothes, if I can have the right address, if I can have the drive the right vehicle, if I can look the part, then, then I will be the part. And if Jacob would have been a pastor, man, he would have been doing the exact same thing. He would, have been, he, he would have been trying to get his people to always look the part. So, you know what? You know, we, we really want you to be the part, so we're going to force you to look the part until you be the part. That somehow what you look at and what you look like is somehow going to work its way in. It's like from the outside in. And that's not, that's, that's, that's not how it works. Come on, somebody. She's preaching right here. That's not how it works. But, but man, as Christians, like we often do that. And so, so people come in and, and, and man, oh, yes, yes, yes I, I want to follow God. And we say, well, you need, you, you need to grow in God. And, and yes, yes, in fact, they do. And so we say, okay, so you need to start wearing your skirts like this length. And your shirts have to be like this and cover up this. And then you have to listen to that. And then you, you, can, you can't watch those movies anymore. You have to watch these movies. And we, we start forcing people to look like what they ought to be before they actually become what they ought to be. Because we think, I mean, it's, it's for good reason. 
citizens. We really want them to become children, mature children of God. We just don't know how the process works. We think if they can look at something striped, that they will birth something striped, that, if, that their DNA will be affected by what is out in front of them. But it's just not true. You can, you, can, you can look holy all you want. You can sound holy. You can look good. You can look humble. <laughs> you can look humble all you want. You can look spiritual. You can look like you got gifts. You can look like you can... And, 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 and yet, but it, it doesn't affect the DNA. What you are is what you are, no matter what you look like. You dress up a pig and clean him up. He's still a pig. And much of Christianity is walking with people who have been told to not look like pigs and not smell like pigs, but they've never been told how to change from being a pig. They're still, they're still the, who they are. They can't deny that, and they can't get rid of that. And so, they, so, 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 so they, need, they need something to try to look like something different. And it always, it always ends. It doesn't work doesn't work and so Jacob you know he gets these stripes and he says man the outside will work its way inside and that's and that's that's just we know that's not true scientifically we know this is not true actually we believe it's not true there's a lot scientifically we still don't know about the, the reproduction of sheep the, actually there's a lot about the DNA that we still don't know so there is a possibility that that this might have worked um, I'm not going to throw that out, but in all of my reading, I mean, I was reading some crazy stuff this week, guys. Like, like I, people way smarter than me talking about, like, like, how this recessive gene can do this and do that. And I'm like, what in the world? I'm just a pastor. I don't know nothing about sheep and recessive genes and stuff and A, little A, big A, little A, plus little A, little A equals... Like, oh my gosh. So, anyways, way beyond my, <laughs> my understanding... But I, I do know that DNA doesn't seem to be transmitted by what you see at conception, even though that was kind of an old wives' tale. That was something that people believed. But what we do know is that this, 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 this certain kind of stick that he used, the poplar stick, is, is and I don't know if, if, if Jacob knew this, but it is, a, it is a bit of an aphrodisiac to animals. <laughs> So he got part of it right, and that it sort of got things going, you know what I mean? Like when they came and when they smelled, it's not the sight of it, it's the smell of it. When they smelled it, then, you know, one sheep looked over at another and said, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, how you doing? Uh, I don't know how sheep do that, but it's just how it worked. It's a bit of an aphrodisiac. So it does, it does create a... A, a, a culture in which new birth would happen. So, you know, hey, kudos to Jacob for that. And then, and, and then he does something else. He sets aside the strong ones and, and then, and then, gives, and then gives, gives the weak ones to him. And it seems as though this system really works. Uh, and one of the super smart people that I was reading, they said basically in this scenario, um, Jacob starts off with virtually no speckled or spotted sheep or black sheep because Laban steals them. Um, essentially, the first year, Jacob's uh, salary basically would go down. His amount of sheep would go down. He started off with X amount, and now he's down. And it would take three years of basically just barely getting by before there would be something called breakthrough in which he would start having more black and speckled sheep than white sheep. And within six years, 95% of the white sheep would be speckled and black. 
But it's all predicated on not whether or not they see something striped. It's predicated on who their father is. <laughs> it's predicated on who their father is. And the angel, I think the angel really tips Jacob off to this. And so I want to go back to that passage in chapter 31 where the angel speaks uh, to Jacob and, and, and it really does let Jacob know that he is not the one responsible. Because it seems like things are working pretty well for Jacob with the whole stripe thing. And it says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream. In other words, I was sleeping. Saw in a dream rams, those are male goats, that leapt, and the actual word there is mounted. You can get your own visual. Mounted upon the flocks that the male goats were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel spoke to me and said, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and notice. I want you to notice. I want you to see how this is happening. The rams, the male goats that are mounting the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted. Jacob, I believe, pretty much thought it was the sticks of, of poplar and stuff that were striped because it seemed to work. But when God is getting ready to move him on back to his father's house, God says, no, no, it's not about what you're looking at. That's not what affects DNA. What affects the DNA is who the father is. See, like, Jacob would have brought all the flocks down, set up his stuff, da-da-da-da-da, uh, you know, all right, guys, drink. I'm going to bed. See you in the morning. And so Jacob wakes up, and the sheep are then with, with lamb, I guess is the correct word, with lamb that are speckled. And he says, all right, my, my, my little visual thing, it worked. So I'm going to keep on doing the visual thing. So he keeps on doing that. And, it's, and, and, and it is, and it is, and it is seemingly it's working. But God reveals to Jacob that it wasn't the sticks that made the difference. It was who the father was that made the difference. That's what affects DNA who the father is. So, 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 so whenever we're talking about the DNA of these sheep and the kind of DNA actually that, that God is wanting to cultivate in Jacob's flock, it, God, Jacob was not contributing to this by means of the, of the sticks. God was kind of overriding Jacob's scheme and God was accomplishing his purpose while Jacob was sleeping which is something else that God had already told Jacob. Well, you're sleeping, I'm gonna be doing a lot more than you can do when you're awake. And he tells him it was the father that affected the DNA. And it's interesting because at the end of that statement, God says, now go back to your father. Go back to your family. It was interesting when we, um, when we started City Chapel about a year and a half ago, actually just before we started, we were in a time of prayer and fasting and I was praying and talking to God. And I felt like God just say to me, he said, he said don't be ashamed of where you've come from. So what are you talking about? And uh, personally, you know, my, my parents are first-generation Christians. Um, so, so, like, everybody before them were, like, straight heathens. And, uh, <laughs> no, actually, my gra both grandmas, bo both of my grandma, I've never met my, my grandfathers because they died before I was born. Uh, 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 no, I'm getting confused. Both of my grandmothers are Christians, and they got saved, and they, they helped that kind of around the same time that my parents did. Um, my mom's dad died before I was born. Um, my dad's dad lived till I was um, 17 and uh, got saved on his deathbed, and uh, he's now with Jesus. And um, 
so that's kind of been our family story. My dad's side of the family, I I'd met, I met most of them at my grandpa's funeral. And, um, and it's, it's, just, it's just one of those things. It, it is my family. They're, they're good people. You know, they smoke cigarettes and wear cowboy boots and listen to country music. Um, so they're, they're kind of moral people, but sort of in their own right. Like, they don't need Jesus, you know. Uh, they got their morality down. It's all good. Um, but we really got to, to see Grandpa turn his life over to Jesus just before he died. Um, and then Grandma... Uh, quit smoking like that very day when grandpa went into the hospital because grandpa died because of smoking just for years and years uh, lung cancer and so grandma quit smoking right away and she's celebrating her 89th birthday today uh, up in Michigan and uh, yeah so happy birthday grandma grandma Fleming uh, on 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 my mom's side grandma Gilbert she's I think 92 and she's been a foster grandparent for the past 10 years she's like still active she still has a job she's crazy um, and, uh, so, you know, so, so, but, but they were kind of the first ones of our lineage that we know of to ever, like, follow Jesus and believe in Jesus, anything. And so as a pastor, as a church planter, you know, um, uh, when I grew up, mom and dad were kind of figuring stuff out. They didn't know what Christians did because they didn't grow up in a Christian home, so they had to figure things out. And so, so a lot of, of, of weight was put on them. And, 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 and really, I, I take after my dad. If you ever see pictures of me and my dad, like I look just like him, like when he was my age. It's kind of scary. And um, we look so much alike. And we actually, our personalities are actually very, very similar. Um, we, we, I just take after him. And um, he's very quiet and reserved and would never get up and preach. And the only reason why I'm preaching is because God made me when I was 12 years old and got me out of my comfort zone. And so one thing that I've always like thought is it's kind of weird because like my dad won't, he, he'll probably never get up and preach. One time I was preaching at a place uh, as, as, as a guest preacher and the pastor you know, brought up my dad to end the service in prayer. And it was kind of anticlimactic, you know? <laughs> Because, like, I just got done preaching, and then Dad, like, he just doesn't pray him out loud, like, in public like that. Like, he doesn't do, like, he's not, you know, uh, charismatic. He's not, it's just, he's, just, he's just very quiet sort of, sort of person. And so, you know, for me, I've had to step out of that quietness in order to stand here in front of you all today. I've had to, like, shed that and, like, and, like really just set that aside. And if you see me on Monday, I'm very quiet and reserved and, and I'm definitely not funny. But, but right now, I mean, I'm hilarious and I just got all sorts of jokes. And I just step out of that. And I've, and, and I, and I've had to do that since I was 12 years old, since God called me to preach. Because, and, 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 you know, leading and pastoring people, meeting with people, all of that kind of thing is, is outside of my, like, comfort zone. That's outside of my outside of my dad I am not like my dad when I do those things and the Lord really started to speak to me and he said well well you but 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 you came from somewhere you came from somewhere and and what I started in you didn't start at your birth what I started at you didn't even start at your dad's birth your dad came from somewhere and sure grandpa didn't receive Jesus until he was on his deathbed but that doesn't mean his whole life was wasted and that doesn't mean I wasn't doing something. And then grandpa's dad, whoever he was, I don't know if he ever came to know Christ, but that doesn't mean his life was wasted. That doesn't mean I wasn't doing something. That doesn't mean I wasn't cultivating something. That doesn't mean I wasn't growing something. And so I began thinking about that, and I began thinking about the qualities that I see in my dad. And my dad is not charismatic, and he's not one to stand up front, but, but, but the qualities that I really love about him is that he's so humble that he just, he just gets in and does whatever needs doing, and he doesn't take any credit. He never wants credit. He's surprised when people give him credit because he just did the right thing because that's what you do. You do the right thing, according to my dad. Like, that's... 
that's the way that my dad is. And so, and so when God was speaking to me, he said, you know, you don't need to be, you don't need to be, you don't need to be ashamed of that. You don't need to try to try to break out of that. You need to embrace that. And so from the very beginning, we've had a culture here of Pastor Harry helps set up and Pastor Harry helps tear down and Pastor Harry washes uh, toilets and scrubs stuff. And it's not because Pastor Harry wants to, you know, be super humble. It's just because that's what, that's what my dad does. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's what God's been cultivating in us. And people even come to the church and they're like, we just love how humble you all are. And sometimes Ro and I are like, look at each other, like, what are they talking about? You know, because true humility happens by mistake. It happens by accident. You don't try to be humble. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't look at humility until finally you are humble. You have something birthed inside of you that, that, that teaches you in your DNA that this is just the right thing to do. This is just what I do. I don't, I'm not looking to make a name for myself. And I haven't even searched harryfleming.com. Maybe it's available. Maybe it's not. I'm not going to write a bestseller. I don't know. Like, like these things are not, are, are not in my ambition. They're not in my bucket list. I'm here to build the kingdom of God. I'm here to promote other people. I'm here to bless other people and get people beside me. I'm not out to be in front and people way back there, follow the fearless leader. I mean, like, you know, I, 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 I will never ask you to do something that I won't do right next to you. And that's, that's, just, that's just who I am. But you are something. You are something. You have been made up by generations of people. And maybe they didn't all serve God, but that doesn't mean their life was a waste. That doesn't mean God hasn't put something in you. That your story didn't start at your birthday. And guess what? Your story's not going to end on your funeral either because you are building something for future generations. Some of the changes that we make in our DNA right here and right now is not even for us. It's for our kids and for our grandkids. We're going to shift family trees and we're going to adjust the alignment of, of, of generations in order to be more God-centered and God-pointed. And sometimes you don't even see the effect of it in your life, but, but your kids will rise up and call you blessed and your grandkids will rise up and call you blessed. That what you're doing, what's going on right now in the space between your birth and your death, yes, 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 you are a part of that, but it's much bigger than you. It's much bigger than you. And so Jacob, 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 he, he recognizes, I got to go back to my father's house. I got to connect with my father. I got to, I got to connect. Even, and, and, and several of us, you know, have had bad, supposedly bad parents or parents that we don't want to honor and we don't want to think that we're anything like them. But, but the truth of the matter is there was, there was some brokenness in your family and the enemy, the enemy got in and certainly there can be some generational curses, but God can break those off of your life and you can, like the, 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 you can, you can chew the meat and you can spit out the bones. You can take the good from your history and you can reject the bad you can say I don't receive that but I receive that I don't receive that but I receive this I don't receive that's not for me this is for me you can take the good of it and grow and as the family tree grows we ought to be getting closer and closer to God and so so this is what Jacob says I got to go back to my father because I've been learning some things and God's been doing some things in me and my kids are going to have a better upbringing than I had and then and then and then those kids are going to have better upbringing than they had because because God's doing something generationally which by the way is what we're talking about at this at this at this weekend's men's retreat we're going to be talking about leaving a legacy and generational stuff so if you want to come hang out with with me and my my property uh we're going to spend the night yes in a tent and we're going to cook some things probably meat and it'll be good and then we're going to talk about leaving leaving a legacy so i would i would love for you to to join me for that but just just before we go i want you to i want you to see the final step that really that really according to the super smart people really tipped the scales in jacob's favor the decision that jacob made to keep the strong ones and to reject the weak ones 
In fact, if I had a title for my sermon, this would really be my title, because this is my ultimate point, is that you have to keep the strong ones. Keep the strong ones. Jacob, Jacob starts off in a, in a bind, and it seems like he's in a bind. If we go back to that passage that, uh, uh, where, 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 where Laban initially agreed to the deal, I think it's, verse, uh, verse, it's chapter 30, and verse 35, it says, Laban removed that day, all the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown among the lambs. Do you notice that word lambs? You know, lambs. Lambs is a young sheep. In other words, he took the young brown ones, but he left the old brown ones. Because this is the way lambs mate, without getting too technical. <laughs> they duke it out. So two males see a fine female sheep and they'll go at it. They'll start fighting. And so the stronger one will win the battle for who gets to be the father. And the weaker one will kind of sulk off and try to find somebody else. That's the way it works. And so Laban sees the cattle and he says, okay, I'll take the young ones because they have more energy. They're more, they're stronger. They're, they have more, they're more vivacious. They're, they're going to win the battle. I'll take the young ones. I'll leave these old guys with you. Now, what we know about the season of this, of this particular arrangement is that this was in the spring. So Jacob, so Laban would have taken the young ones that were born in the spring, which was very normal. Most, most sheep uh, get pregnant in the fall. They, 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 they have five months of gestation. They give birth in the spring because the spring is a good, easy, warm, lush time when everything's growing. And so, and so the spring is a typical time in which they would give birth. So if there were older ones in the flock, what that means is that those older ones would have been born before the winter. And they've been through a winter and they looked all beat up and stuff and they looked all messed up and Laban said, yeah, I don't want that. You can, you can keep those because they're not winning any battles anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're not going to be getting any sheep pregnant. You can go ahead and keep those. I'll take the young ones because they got fire and passion and power and all that other peas that go along with it. And, uh, you know, we'll, just, we'll move those. Away. You go ahead and keep these old ones uh, and, you know, you'll be fine with that. But what Laban didn't understand is that the strong ones, when scripture says strong ones, what it means is that, he, that, that Jacob kept the ones that were born in the fall, not the ones that were born in the spring. Because the ones that are born in the spring are born into comfort, are born into ideal circumstances, are born into perfect situations. The ones that were born in the fall have to survive the winter. And what Laban saw as weakness, all beat up, these beat up, winter goats <laughs> what he saw as scars what he saw as weakness was actually the strength to survive less than ideal situations <laughs> Jacob said and this is how Jacob started he started with some old goats that had been through some stuff and he realized that the old goats that have been through some stuff is much better than the young, enthusiastic folks that haven't been through anything. Like, I don't want to read a book on parenting from somebody who's never had kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't have kids, like, just, just, just shut up. You have no idea what you are talking about. You think you know. You don't know. Don't give me no parenting advice. Don't tell me what the... You don't know Jack. I got 99 problems and you're... No, never mind. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
Like, you gotta have, you gotta keep some strong ones in your life. You gotta keep some gray hair around. If you don't have gray hair, get people who have gray hair around you. Because, oh, we love your enthusiasm, those of you that are born in the spring. Oh, it's so wonderful and life is so cheery. But I want somebody that's been through some stuff. I want somebody that knows what it is to make it through less than ideal situations. Who knows what it is to come out of a struggle and still be kicking and still be living. Those ones, I want them in a fight. I want them next to me. I want those ones. I want some strong ones in my life. I want some strong ones in my upline and in my downline. I want some strong ones in my in my group and in my in, 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 on, on my band. I want some strong ones on my leadership team I want some strong people who've been through some stuff because yeah they got scars but the scars don't make them weaker it just shows that they're able to survive even when the going gets tough they don't get going they stick they stay they're there for the long haul they're still in the flock those young ones better look out which is what God says he says hey did you notice that while you were sleeping that those, those old tough ones, they don't look as pretty as the young ones, but the old tough ones, did you notice how they just beat up all the younger ones and got all the sheep pregnant? Did you notice how there's like, they, like, like they, all the young ones who thought they were so good, they didn't know anything about survival. They hadn't been through anything, and so they couldn't stand for anything. You've got to keep some strong ones in your life. You've got to keep some strong people in your life, but you also need to keep some strong, some strong stuff in your life. Because what, is, what you allow to be strong is what will give birth to who you are. It'll give birth to the DNA of your herd. And so when weak thoughts come up to your, come up to your watering trough, you need to send them away. You need to send away weakness. You need to get rid of weakness. And by weakness, I don't mean dependence on God. I mean dependence on yourself. Because when you depend on you, that's when you're the weakest that you'll ever be. And so, so whenever you have scripture, a quick, quick scripture before we go that really explains this is found in the New Testament where, where uh, let's, let's see, it's, um, oh, I don't even have the scripture. Did I, did, did, did I give the scripture to you? Where Paul says, yeah, uh, in, in Philippians, this is where he says, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything strong in your life, if there's anything strong, if there's anything rooted in truth and virtue and in love and in nobility, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on, hold on to these things. The things which you learned and received and heard from me, your father, your spiritual father, take the DNA that I gave you and do these things and the God of peace will be with you. The way that God performs his promises in your life is when you have spiritual fathers that you receive from and you hold on to the good and you get rid of the weak, hold on to the strong thoughts in your life and the strong uh, habits in your life. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't separate, and I know I'm going over, but, but we have a tendency in, 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 in life and in our generation to separate habits from health. You ever notice that? It's like we separate habits from health we think health is something that doctors ought to give us we think habits is something we ought to do just to enjoy ourselves physically physically we, we even physically we separate habits from health it's, it's, it's amazing we, 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 we prescribe drugs to take care of stuff that happens because of stuff that we eat <laughs> do you know how weird that is we're like I'm gonna put this in my mouth and then I'll have to put that in my mouth so this doesn't come out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> like, like we, 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 why? Because we have divorced our habits from our health. 
And I found this out like a few months ago when I was getting all sorts of headaches. Then I went to the chiropractor and found out my neck was out of line because I was sitting in my chair wrong when I was typing on my computer. And so I had to change my habits in order to change my health. And, and you can get prayer for all of your health and, 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 and it can help. But if you don't change your habits, the prayer is going to work for a while. But then the, the pro health problem is going to come back. You have to adjust the way that you're living, what you're eating, the way that you're, the way that you're, you're, you're exercising. You have to change your habits if you want to change your health. But no, we often rely on God just to zap us and then boom, God will deal with the health thing. I'll just live my habits. And we do this physically. We also do it emotionally. We often do it with anxiety. And so we say, you know, you know I, really want you, I really want you to pray for my anxiety because it's just, it's just overwhelming. And so we'll pray and God will give relief in their anxiety. But then, then we hold on to stuff like this. And it's not that heavy. It's a negative comment somebody said. It's a criticism somebody gave us. And but we hold on to it all day. And I can hold on to this because I'm super strong for about 30 seconds. And then I start to get a little bit weak. But if you were to come back, let's say an hour. Okay, I'm going to keep preaching for the next hour. And I'm going to hold this the whole time. My arm's going to be so sore in two hours. If you come back at midnight, I'll be passed out on the floor, dead somewhere. <laughs> because what I'm holding, it's not that it's that heavy. It's just that you hold it for so long, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, and it makes your back seize up, and it makes your spine spring up, and your legs start buckling, and you break out in sweats because, because you're holding on to those thoughts. And so you pray for God to heal you from your anxiety, but you keep holding on to every negative comment everybody makes about you and every negative look somebody gives to you, and you just won't let go, and you mull over and over, and you wonder why you're anxious, and you wonder why you're worried, and you watch Fox News all day, and you wonder why... I'm just telling it like it is. And then you watch CNN. I mean, it's like if you scroll through all these memes and comments of everybody and their mother about their election and this person and that and the world's coming to an end and blah, blah, blah. And you wonder why you're anxious. Scripture says that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stuck on him. Think on these things. Hold on to something strong, something better. Change, change the, the habits of your life and then you'll start to change the health of your life and God will come in. This is true physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Sometimes it's committing to a different habit. I was, I was talking to, I'm getting ready to close for this. Actually, this will be the altar call. I was talking to a pastor in Buda um, who was telling me this week, it's a small church, kind of like us, you know, we set up every Sunday, we do stuff. And he was saying, man, my people are tired. They're just they're weary, all the setup and tear down, all this stuff. I said, I understand. I'm tired. I got 99 problems. Um, just kidding. That's been my thing all week. Um, I'll move on to something else next week. Uh, but, you know, I said, man, I understand. I know it's tough. And, uh, uh, and I was telling them about all the stuff we're doing, you know, uh, a garden day and, and Earth Day serving and tacos for teachers and stuff that's coming up in the summer that you guys don't even know about that's so awesome. Men's retreat, women's retreat, uh, you know, a growth track, 15 small groups. We're having an appreciation dinner for the small group leaders tomorrow night just to thank them for pastoring our people for the past three months. And, uh, and it's just really, really, really awesome stuff going on. And he's like, man, how do you do all that? And I just kind of looked at him. I said, what are you talking about? So how do you, like, like he's, he's like, do you stand up and like beg, like get people to do stuff? Like, do you tell them we need nursery workers? We need this, we need that, we need that. I said, no, actually, I never do that because that's lame. Don't do that. <laughs> but that's just, that's, that's, 
that's, I mean, some pastors do it. That's just not my, it's not my thing. I said, no, we don't do that. He's like, well, 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 how much do you ask of your people? I said, now that's a good question. I said, let me think about that. I said, well, we ask four things. We ask that you show up at church because we believe that it'll bless you. We believe that if you're in the presence of God, God will speak something to you and something in worship, some prayer at the end. Maybe I'll say something that'll actually help you. I don't know. But, you know, something will speak to you that God has something for you each and every week. We really believe that. So we do ask for people to come to church. Uh, We ask for people to join small groups because it's in that community that they are actually pastored and somebody shows up and meets them at the hospital and somebody knows what's going on in their life and we're praying for each other. We're lifting each other up. So we do ask that people join small groups. We ask that people go to our growth track. That's the third thing. That's the third ask. And it's three classes and Roe had uh, 301 this week. There's 101, which is when you become a member of the church. 201, where you learn about your identity in Christ. And 301, where you learn about what God wants you to do. And we think it's helpful to people if they go to growth track. And number four, we ask people to serve. Serve in something. Serve on Earth Day. Serve serve, serve in setup team. Serve as, as a worship leader. Serve just, serve just serve somewhere. Just serve something. God's got something for you to do. And he's like, so how do you organize all that? I said, oh, well, we got, you know, T-Bear, we got Emilio, we got, and I just started naming, you know, JT, we got Laura doing stuff, and Emily, we got, you know, uh, Eddie and Priscilla, we got, I just started putting out names, and he's like, oh, well, you're surrounded by some really great people. I said, well, yeah, the strong ones. Like, I want strong ones around me. I can't, I'm not, I can't do all that. If it were up to me, the church would be 20 people in my living room, and that's it. I'll be setting up another this junk. I mean, what am I? What am I going to do? We have no worship. We'd have no, nobody in the tech booth. It would be me preaching with no microphone. I'd be, you know, killing it still. But, you know, it would be, it would be, it would be different. It would be different. I say, yeah, man, I've kept, I've kept a lot of strong ones. Which means I, I've had to, you know, some people have moved on because they, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't wanting to, to hang with us. Some people that I remember one time before we even started, we had uh, we had a meeting and uh, we were going to have some worship and we we're going to have I was going to preach kind of, and um, everybody showed up and I said, all right guys, I'm going to change it up. Um, I'm still going to preach because that's what Jesus wants. But um, but when it comes to to worship, we're we're actually just just T Bear's going to play on the keys and then we're all going to go out and do different things. We're going to do these greeters. We're going to you know clean the bathrooms and we're going to do all this. And somebody on the team came to me and said. I just talked to my husband. We can't be on this team if I can't be on the stage. And I said, okay. That's, if, that's, if that's where you are. It, it, it's unfortunate because I love them and I love their family and I, and I still, love, still pray for them. But man, okay, well, if, if, if you're not strong enough to step down from the stage, then you're not strong enough to step up. My pastor used to say, if you're, too, if you're too big to vacuum the platform, you're too small to preach from it. Got to keep the strong ones. Reach out to the weak. Reach out to weak people, certainly. But in your own mind and in your own family, in your own culture, hold on to what is strong. Hold on to that, that ideal of, of, of we all serve and we're not looking for a title and Dallas isn't trying to become a solo artist. You know, we're, we're here to... <laughs> We're here to serve. He helps set up and tear down and everything. And, and yeah, it's good stuff. And he opens up his living room for worship stuff. And it's just, it's just, he's just, he's just a servant. And, and that's what all these people are. So you, you run into servants everywhere around here. Because that's what we think is strength. That's what we think God's called us to. 
And so in your own life, you can keep that. And the way to start that is just to accept Jesus, the ultimate servant into your life. So let's bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. And I want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, I want to receive Jesus into my life and I want him to, to change me and make me strong. I have a lot of weakness in my life. I'm like Jacob in a lot of ways, but I need